You know, throughout the week, I've been really busy with physical work. And during that time, I've paid attention to my time with the Lord in prayer and in His Word. And I came to realize that the message from last week was not just for all of you, but also for me. What kind of people are we to be? As I asked the children, the whole world is crossing boundaries these days. All established lines are being blurred, decimated, demolished, or even buried. The rules are rapidly changing. And things that once were accepted as moral and decent are systematically being eradicated. Well, we held dear, as for example, the rights of people to decide for themselves how they were going to direct their lives. The freedom that we enjoy in this land, for example, much of the world doesn't enjoy, but it's being whittled away. Morality and decency is criticized. It's marginalized. It's even punished. And this has an objective that's not for everyone's good. We know that all things work together for good for those who are loving God and called according to His purpose. But the objective of what's happening around us is not for our good. On one hand, there's a, t a push for tighter regulations, more orders, more mandates. On the other hand, we have a liberation of things that God hates. The established moral boundaries are being blurred at best. They're being eliminated at worst. And, and new, immoral freedoms are being pushed. And others are being limited by those same freedoms. We're not permitted to speak the Word of God in some cases because, after all, it might offend somebody. Anybody who's lived 50 years or more on this earth has watched the systematic dismantling of everything that was good and right, most especially in this country. In the process... The accepted boundaries are being replaced with what is not acceptable to our Creator. Good is being called evil. Evil is being called good. And I say woe to them, as Isaiah says. Much of what God calls sin is no longer shameful. Instead, it's celebrated, it's paraded and promoted, even in religion. God have mercy. Honesty has become fluid. What once was solid and dogmatically true, absolute, has become relative. Because after all, the mantra is, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Relativity is the, it's the tool of Satan to take over the world, folks. And this will be supported by the leader of the worldwide religion, because the end goal is the establishment of a worldwide government. All governments and religions will be blended into one. That's what's written in the Scripture. That's what's going to happen. None of us can stop that. In fact, the Word of God tells us to hasten the coming of the Lord. 
And we'll get into that later in the message. And it's true that these governments and religions are being blended into one, even as the lines that separate them seem to be strengthened right now, or being strengthened. But those very same lines are going to be used as a reason to form that one world government and that one world religion, because after all, that'll bring peace. It'll be the unifying reason, because the cry will be for peace and safety, protection from an enemy. Many are going along with these rapid changes to get along in the world, because after all, we have to live in this world, right? I mean, don't we want to get along? Go along to get along, right? I've heard lots of people say that. I'm just going along to get along, brother. Others are consenting to these things because they enjoy being in the world and of the world, even in the church. But what does Almighty God say? And that's what we're going to look at today as we finish looking at Peter's epistle. It's his second epistle, be the third chapter. We'll begin at verse 1 again. But we're going to pick up at verse 11 after we read through the epistle. We're going to pick up verse 11 and go through the end of the chapter very quickly. Before we do, though, I'd like us to pray. We can open the Bibles there to page 1863 if you decide to use one of those. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord. I thank You that Your Word is true. I thank You, Father, for the blessing of Your Word, that we have it at our easy disposal. We can read it. We can use it. We can share it. We can give it to others. Lord God, we can put it into ourselves where it will do the most good for us. Let us not be those who leave it on a shelf to get dusty. Let us be those, Lord, who read it, whether it's an electronic Bible on a telephone or a tablet, whether it's a book form that we can pick up and hold in our hands. Lord, help us to remember each day to pick it up and read some part of it where Your Spirit can teach us what You want us to know, that we can be those people that You call us to be. And all of God's people said, Amen. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. Again, that's page 1863. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He's pointing to the Old Testament there. Remember what they wrote. Can't ignore what they said. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, in other words, the New Testament, so here he combines both the Old and New Testament. We covered all this last week. I'm not going to exposit it. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But... The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. See, the ungodly will be judged and punished. 
But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. There's no time with God. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who does God want to come to repentance? All. Okay, that's easy. But there are some who say He doesn't want all to come to repentance. So there are doctrines of demons in the world today that claim that God has some people created for His glory and others for destruction. That's not what His Word says, but that's what they say. And, and I've got to point that out. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, when he says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, he's not saying he's coming like a thief. He's not going to be a thief. Somebody's going to come secretly in the sense that you're not going to know when. He's not going to pre-announce. It's going to happen, and then you're going to know. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Well, that's not a bright message, is it? He says, it's all going to burn up. So what kind of people should you be? That's what he says. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth. There's the hope that we have in Christ. See, that's the good news in which righteousness dwells. He doesn't say unrighteousness. In fact, there will be no darkness in the light of God. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Now, when He's talking peace there, He's talking about peace between us and God. Christ made that peace possible through His sacrifice. Without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. He was criticizing those who were already, at that time, twisting the words of Paul and making them something different. We have people today who disregard the teachings of Paul. They say, that's not Scripture, but that's not what God's Word says. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's for all believers, not just some. What kind of people should we be? Peter asked. This is all going to burn up, so what kind of people should we be? The final eight verses of Peter's second epistle offer guidance and hope. He asks that long question, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And there we hear him answer the question, what manner of people ought you to be? holy and godly. That's what he's saying. And that word, therefore, points to the facts that he previously stated. Since everything's going to be burned up, what kind of people should you be? And he answers the question with holy 
and godly, faithful, prayerful, righteous by God's standards, not our own. We can't say, well, I'm better than, and point to someone else. Or our country's better than, and point to another country. We're to be living by God's standards, not our own. Because all human standards are constantly devolving. And we see that around us. Peter repeatedly emphasized purity and piety. Both of his epistles contain multiple statements, and I'm going to read a few for you, about holiness and godliness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, it's written, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope. Sober doesn't just mean from alcohol, it means everything and anything. Don't be stoned out of your mind all the time. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Because before you knew Christ, you did things that you ought not to have. He says, don't do that. This is New Testament. It's not Old Testament. Because we have people that tell us today that we don't have to do anything, that we can just do whatever we want. Because they're liars, they're children of the devil, they're snakes, they're vipers. Those are the things that Christ called them in His day. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting the Old Testament there. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, religion doesn't save you. Whatever religion you received isn't going to save you. It's Christ alone. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish blemish, and without spot. It's not religion that saves us. Coming to this building doesn't save us. Attending prayer meetings doesn't save us. Studying the Word of God doesn't save us. It's the blood of Christ that He sacrificed saves us. He was the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. Now, therefore, laying aside all malice, it's written in 1 Peter chapter 2, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, desire the milk. Peter is giving this instruction because apparently some of the people that he's writing to weren't. They weren't desirous of learning. They were happy to keep on doing things just as they always had. And he's saying, stop that. Don't do that. Especially now as we get toward the end of his writings, he says, it's all going to burn up. It's not going to be any good anyway. So don't be covetous. Be sober. Don't be a liar. Be one who tells the truth. And these are all implied because these things aren't specifically written there in some of these places that I'm reading from. 
He's saying, put aside all malice, all deceit. How deceitful is it for us to on Sunday morning sit in these seats, but all the rest of the week be somewhere that God would not approve of? If Christ is with you, if He is in you, He is with you. And if He is with you, do you want Him to be there with you when you're doing whatever it is that doesn't please Him? I don't. Put it away. Beloved, it's written in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, it's written, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. We read that in our er earlier passage. Be diligent to be found without spot, blameless. He's saying to work on it. Do something. Step outside of that realm where the world is trying to get you to be fully immersed in and become more immersed in His will, not your own. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, we read this, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So that implies in the New Testament that we are able to be led away with the wicked. I don't want anybody who sits under my preaching to go away under the, the, the guidance of the wicked. I want you to come into the fullness of Christ. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So why does Peter say these things? Why does he make all of these references to holiness and godliness? He plainly tells us why. You are a chosen generation. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you, you, you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're proclaiming his praises. He brought you out of darkness into His light, and you can proclaim that to the world if, in fact, you have come out of darkness. So you can't do it if you haven't. Oh, you might. Then that would make you a hypocrite, one of those that Jesus most fervently decried in His day. It's pretty simple. He called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And you know, Peter's just stating the truth like other biblical writers. It's nothing different. Different words, same truth. Hear what Ezekiel had to say. It's written in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. God didn't create anybody. He did not create anybody to destroy them. He has no pleasure in the death of those who die. 
That's his word. It's not my word. That's his word. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. You go into Ezekiel chapter 36, and you hear God will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and He will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He does the work. So ask Him. Ask Him. God, there's something not quite right here, and I want to get it right. Help me. My words. Ezekiel's thoughts. Give me a new heart. Transform me. Renew me. I want to be fully His, completely surrendered, given over. I don't want to be part of the world and part of God. Romans chapter 13, now we're back into the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, we hear this. Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. He's not talking about waking up out of your bedroom. He's talking about waking up your mind to the reality that you are living in right now. These are the times that we're written of. We are in the days preceding the Lord's return. We don't know when, and no one knows. If somebody tells you they do, they're liars. The only one that knows is the Father. That's what our Lord said. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And if that was true then, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, how much more true is it today? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. And he's not talking about last night and today. He's talking about the night of sin, the day of the Lord. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness... Too many so-called Christians today who are walking in darkness proclaiming to be people of the light. God's not happy. He's not happy one bit about that. Not one bit. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. What kind of people are we to be? Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This was Paul writing to the Romans. Same thoughts as what Peter's saying. It's identical. And, and hear what's written to the Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Anybody here a trapper? Anybody know what a snare is? John knows what a snare is. Snare locks on, doesn't it, John? Doesn't let go, does it, John? It grabs on and it holds on until somebody outside of the snare releases it. True or false? The sin so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside that sin which so easily ensnares us. What kind of people are we to be? Since all is going to be destroyed, this whole world and everything in it 
the heavens above. God's creating a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll get there. James tells us, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Wait a minute, that's New Testament? And there are teachers today who say, you don't have to lay aside your sin. Just embrace it, because God loves you right where you are. Now, He loves you right where you are, but He wants you to come out of it, because that's what His Word says. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. You can't hold on to wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. There are lots of people that hear the Word, but they don't do it. For if anyone's a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, and he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Doesn't even know what he looks like. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You want blessing? Do what God says. You want blessing? Follow the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, we hear this, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Now, some would say, oh, that's Old Testament. He was talking about His people there because they were sinning. And Yeah, okay, well, let's keep going. The Lord is far from the wicked, it's written in Proverbs 15, 29, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, again, Old Testament, and I know there's those, and, and I have to stress this, folks, because there are people who believe that they can go on sinning, but, and God hears them when they pray, they think. But here with John... In verse 9, or excuse, excuse me, uh, chapter 9 and verse 31 tells us, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. That's New Testament. God doesn't hear sinners when they pray? Seriously? Well, somebody pointed out to me, and I agree, that when a sinner cries out to God in prayer for salvation, God hears them. But don't ask God for favor if you're walking against His will. It's not how it works. His Word is so clear on this. What manner of people should we be? In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 25, it's written, Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Jeremiah was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet. Ezekiel was a prophet. John was the beloved apostle. There's two parts in that question. The next part covers two things, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for it with expectation. It's something we covered more in depth last week. The Lord says, watch, therefore, watch, 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 be watchful, be, remain watchful, don't be a fool. Ten virgins, five were wise, five were otherwise. They were fools, according to the Lord. We're to be expectantly waiting for Christ, as if right now He's going to arrive. And right now He's going to arrive. And right now He's going to arrive. Every moment of our lives is to be spent expecting Christ's return. And you know what that does? It gives you strength against temptation, and you can say no. You can resist the devil, and he flees. 
we have many examples that we have personally experienced in this building of that very principle being true. Our Lord repeatedly instructs His followers to be and remain watchful for His return. We're to be eagerly awaiting for His revelation, for Him to be revealed to the world. And when He comes, it says He's coming in flaming fire with His angels. But that part, hastening the day of the Lord, the day of God, that's not well understood. We're not to be running around doing everything that we want to do. We're to be doing our part to fulfill the conditions necessary for the day of the Lord to come. Hastening. Hastening. That's part of our role as believers. But how do we do that, Pastor? The King James Version uses the word hasting there, which Webster says is the name of an early pair. Hasting. It bears fruit early. Okay? That's why that word was chosen. Because the fruit is the Lord's return. And we want Him to return. Or we don't. Maybe we're enjoying this life too much and we're saying, well, you know, I wouldn't mind if it'd hold off a little while. There are many to do that. The New King James uses that word hastening, which means to urge forward or push on, proceed rapidly. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the root word means to make haste, to haste, to desire earnestly. Strong's Greek dictionary gives us that it is to speed, to study, and that is to urge diligently or earnestly by implication to await eagerly, to haste unto. We want Him to return. So we live each day, what kind of people ought we to be? Those who are waiting for their Messiah. Waiting for that one who gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. Eagerly, earnestly expecting his return. Now, it's easy for us whenever we see the world falling apart around us, right? We think, oh, yeah, he's coming. He said it was going to get like this. And he did. And he is coming. When he was questioned about his return, the one that we call Jesus gave a list of things to look for. We can read it in Matthew chapter 24. We covered that a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. And then he said, and this is a curious thing, he said, then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. So you're going to see all these things happening. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then shall the end come. You see, the gospel has got to go out to the whole world. And then the end comes. He also said, and we find this in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He instructed his people to do that. This is every role, everybody, every believer's role in hastening the coming of the Lord. It's part of our role. We're to get the word out. We're to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor, I, I just don't know it. Come in. Let's study the word. We will show ourselves approved. We will learn it. And you can 
share it with others. As John said he was doing last night, as Dylan and Tyler go out and share the gospel. All of us can share wherever we are with whomever we're with. There's another thing that has to happen. It's predicted by Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians. And that's where Paul wrote, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. I believe we're in the midst of that falling away. I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing the body of Christ move away from Christ. Because we're adopting all of these things and embracing all of these things from the world. Move the boundaries and move the boundaries and move the boundaries until there are no boundaries. But God's Word is a book of boundaries for God's people. It tells us how to live our lives. It gives us the limitations. And it's for our own good. It is not because God's a killjoy and says, now nah, I've created you, you've got to do what I say. He says, this is the best way for you to operate. He's the manufacturer. He knows the best way for His created beings to operate. So that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And there are many that believe that there's going to be a temple built in the Middle East, and until that happens, we have nothing to worry about. But God's Word says we are the temple today, so I'm not so sure that that interpretation is accurate. Because if the people of God are the temple of God, then... Somebody sitting in the temple as the head of the temple, saying that he is in the place of God, could fit that description. That would be the son of perdition. He opposes and exalts himself. Now, as we look in Peter's second epistle, chapter 3 and verse 13, we hear this, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. You see, we're not caught up in this earth, in this heaven, what we see. We're looking for that new one. You see, back to that focus on Christ, back to the focus on God's Word. And we can find in Isaiah chapter 65 that the Lord Himself, speaking through Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for behold, it is written, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Erased. Everything we are experiencing right now in this world will be completely erased. Not be remembered. Won't come to mind. It's of little significance in the eternal point of view, folks. Yes, we have to live our lives. Yes, we have to do the day-to-day, -day, whatever it is that our lives bring. We need clothing. We need food. We need a place to live. Yes. The Lord tells us not to worry about those things because He will provide. I can say I know that for certain. I live it. 
doesn't mean that we're to just give up, sit on our hands, cloister ourselves together in some building, call ourselves by a special name and say, not living in the world. Paul said, I don't want you to be living in sin. He said, but I don't mean for you to come out of the world. But this passage gives us perspective because nothing on earth lasts forever. In Revelation 21, it is written, see, we got Isaiah, that's Old Testament, that's testimony one witness. We got Peter, testimony of another witness. And then we have John who writes the revelation that was brought to him by Jesus Christ himself. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It was beautiful, he's saying. Spectacular. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. How many of us would really enjoy that? I know a bunch of you can raise your hands. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is what we're looking forward to. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Everlasting joy in the presence of our Creator. This is what we're earnestly expecting At least that's what God's Word says we are to be doing. What kind of people are we to be? Those who are expecting this. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, it's written, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete the work. Turn to him. He's working on you, okay? Ah, he's had a real blockhead here to kind of shape up, okay? Let me tell you. He's had a lot of work to do on me. And he's still doing it. And I expect that he's working on all of you, turning you nearer to him, turning you so that you are, in fact, the people that he wants you to be. Every day, every moment of every day, and not just daytime when the sun is shining or the daylight but also every night. As I wrap this up, I want to encourage you with God's Word. I'm not going to go into the last few verses. Probably cover those next week. In verse 14 there in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's written, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, peace with God, without spot and blameless. See, that's your part. That's part of what He wants you to do. He wants you to walk in His presence. And in His presence there is no darkness. There is light only. Turn away from evil and do good, it's written. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, quoting the Old Testament. I think it's uh, Leviticus, maybe. 
I can't remember. I, I had it, but I didn't put it in my notes here. Did I put it up there? Yeah, oh, Psalm 34:14. Okay. Turn away from evil and do good. Why would Peter quote that if we had nothing to do? I think that's a valid question. If he's quoting it, he's saying it's something for the New Testament church to do. Pursue peace. Do good. Turn away from evil. And Psalm 34 in verse 1, when I was looking at Psalm 34, I saw where the very first verse there says, let his praise continually be in our mouth. Continually. I know sometimes we kind of drag it out. Oh, well, you know, this one's going to praise about that. That's going to praise about that. You know what? God wants to hear our praises. Let His praise be in our mouth continually. Rejoice always. It's written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. There's a three-point sermon right there. I delivered one from that text once. 15-minute sermon whenever that's what was required. Rejoice always, point number one. Pray without ceasing, point number two. In everything, give thanks, point number three. Nailed it, 15 minutes. Some of you are probably wondering, why doesn't he do that anymore? (laughs) For this is the will of God in Christ for you. That's what He wants for you. Beloved, John, the beloved apostle, he writes in his third epistle, do not imitate what is evil. In other words, don't do what's evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. And who defines evil? Do I get to define evil? Anybody else here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you get to define evil. I mean, maybe just for your life you can define what's evil. Yes? Somebody, raise your hand. Nobody? Oh, okay. Matt's raising his hand. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And God's the only one that gets to define what evil is. He's the one that has established the boundaries. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is the kind of people I want you to be. And when we step outside of that, we are not being holy. We are being unholy, evil, wicked, iniquitous. These are all words that God's Word uses. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it's written, let love be without hypocrisy. If you love God, don't be a hypocrite. If you love Christ, don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend. It'd be better for you not to be in this building if you're lying to God. Because He knows. I'm not trying to chase you out, folks. I want you to come to Him. I want you to know Him. I want you to walk with Him. I want you to be the type of people that He wants you to be. Abhor. In other words, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. God's Word is clear. 
Chapter 12 there in Romans in verse 21 tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Resist the devil and he will flee. You overcome evil with good. That's what kind of people God wants you to be. That's what kind of people He wants me to be. God's Word's clear. Almighty God is far more concerned for our purity than anything else. There are those who preach this prosperity thing where they say, God wants you to be rich and famous right now. He wants you to have your best life now. But God's Word says He wants you to give your best to Him now. In Luke chapter 11, the final passage that I'm going to read, the Lord said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You've heard the Word of God. Do you want blessing? Keep His Word. It's pretty simple. Keep His Word. What kind of people does He want you to be? He wants you to draw near to Him. And everything else, remember, is going to burn up. None of this is going to even be remembered according to God's Word. When you go forth from here, I want you to think about it. What does God convict you of? Is there anything in your life that He wants you to clean up? Is there anything He wants you to get rid of? Is there anything that He wants you to walk away from? Is there anything in your life that's displeasing to Him, grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching His fire in your life? Is there anything? Because if there is, just give it to Him. You don't have to give it to me. If you want to come forward for prayer, we can have prayer right now. Anybody who wants to come forward, please come forward. We will pray. We can pray right now. Because I know God doesn't give me a message like this for nothing. He wants His people to walk in His presence. And without purity... We're not permitted to. He says so. He makes it clear. We can't live any way we choose. It's contrary to His Word and expect that somehow we're going to have something that He promises to those who do follow His Word. He makes that absolutely clear. Anybody else like to come up and pray? If there's anybody who would like to pray with these folks or for these folks, Come on up. I trust the Lord is guiding us by His Word to come out of Egypt, to no longer be in the Nile, denial. Denying the truth. God's Word is true. There's none of us that can make God a liar. We make ourselves liars. His Word tells us how to live. We're not to cross the boundaries. 
God has established the lines. We're not to blur them or demolish them or bury them. We're not to change His rules. We are to continue to accept what's moral and decent. Walk away from those who criticize and even punish what's right by God. We may not call good evil and evil good. The Lord tells us, woe to those who do so. Lord, I ask that you would take each one in this building. Strengthen us to walk in your will and your way. Let us recognize, Lord, that honesty is not fluid. What's true for you, Father, is true for us. The Bible is not a book of relativity. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father, as we move closer to that one world religion and one world government, that we would be people who would stand for the truth, that we would walk away from error, that we would not accept those things that are being forced upon your people. Help us not to consent to the things that are evil. Help us not to consent to the things that go against your word. God, you and you alone are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Father, you are in heaven. Your name is to be hallowed. Bless us, Father. Bless us, we pray. We know by the blood of Christ we are set free from all unrighteousness. Help us to walk as children of righteousness, covered in the blood of Christ, protected, Lord, from all manner of evil. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Father. Enable us and empower us to resist the devil. Give us what it is that you want for us to have, Father. As we go forward from here, I ask your blessing on each one. It's in Christ's name that I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.